Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. You know what I'm about to ask. If you're listeners of The Frontline with Joe and Joe, please download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app. Share it with your friends. We are an EWTN affiliate plus our original programming, so we know your friends are going to love it. Um, and if you like what Joe and I do, you can follow us on social media at The Frontline with Joe and Joe, The Frontline with Joe and Joe, primarily on YouTube, but wherever you see us, help us out, hit a like or subscribe, a share, all that fun stuff. Now, today... We are very pleased and honored to be joined by Father Timothy Vaverick, and we're going to be discussing his new book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. Um, I find that title interesting, Father. We're going to let you get into rediscovering, so I'm sure we're going to get into that. Um, I want to give a quick bio. Father Timothy is a priest of the Diocese of Austin, serving as pastor for Assumption Parish. His hometown is San Marcos, where he graduated with a degree in physics from Texas State University. During seminary, he studied at the University of Dallas and the Gregorian in Rome. He received a doctorate from the Angelicum University in Rome in 1996. His studies focused on ecclesiology, apostolic ministry, Newman, and ecumenism. Since ordination in 1985 his ministry has been in parishes um and uh and he's also been a diocesan official and he has also published various published in excuse me various journals and writes for the catholic thing.org father timothy veverick thank you for joining us here welcome to the front line with joe and joe thank you and uh, thank you for having me on awesome with that awesome. i'm going to hand it over to joe resinello father would you uh, lead us in prayer before we have a conversation name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to open our hearts and minds that we might come to know you and love you and serve you more faithfully in our daily life as you draw us closer to yourself in Christ. And we commend to your care in a special way our beloved departed. Grant them eternal rest and light in your sight forever. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Father, we're spanning the whole country. We got Arizona, Texas, and New Jersey covered between the three of us. I think we're going to really bust it out. Um, I must say I'm a big fan of Texas. Um, I used to work there a lot in the 90s. I used to go stay at the Galleria in Houston. I've been to a UT Notre Dame game in Austin. Fantastic, good food. Um, it's a great place, really. You're the proudest people in America, and I've been to most of America in my career. 
Well, hopefully we have the most reason to be proud. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, but honestly, I always took note of that when I went to Texas. The proudest people, everywhere the flag is flown, uh, the Texas flag is right next to it. It's very good to see. We should be proud of it. Oh. Right. When you said the flags were flown, I, I was going to say, and sometimes we even fly the American flag. <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I love it. I love it. Um, so go ahead, Joe. Where do you want to start? Let's talk with the, the title, um, As I Have Loved You. I mean, it's, it's a basic concept, but it, it's much deeper than that. I mean, we know that God is love, but I think one of the impediments that people don't like uh, – follow God or believe in God or become Catholic is they don't really understand that they are truly loved. I think people initially learn that in the home, particularly amongst dads. If if people have like a dad that was loving um, and, and a good home, they understand that parental love. Um, but I don't know if we really understand that God loves us, because I think if we did, the world would look a little differently. And if we did, we would love other people. And sadly, I don't think we do that as well as we should either. Talk about the title and talk about some of the thoughts I just put out there. Well, certainly the family is a school of love. And one can learn parental love um, equally well from a mother or a father, of course. Um, the difficulty with a father's love is that since God has made himself known to us as father. Um, if our human fathers don't do a good job, it makes it more complicated for, for children as they grow to have a relationship to God as father. Um, and Jesus has come to reveal to, to us who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, with a purpose. This purpose is not simply to um, point out our sins and forgive our sins, although that is an important, very important part of what he's doing, that's of infinite value to us, the, the, the awareness of our sin and the pardon of it. But he's doing that for a broader purpose, and that broader purpose is to draw us to himself. Now, Jesus said that uh, he must be lifted up, referring to his crucifixion, in order to, to draw everyone to himself. So God's plan for us, his eternal plan for us, is that we should be drawn to share his life, that we should be made one with him in Jesus. So it's not just that God loves us, it's the particular way he has chosen to love us in Jesus. Hence the title, as I, I, Jesus, true God and true man, have loved you. It is in this way that we are loved and that we then in turn are to love. Father Vaverick is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, and we're discussing his new book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. Father, usually when you're seeking to rediscover something, it's mean, it means that, or it implies that you've lost something. Um, have we lost anything here? If, we're, if you're suggesting we need to rediscover our salvation in Christ, have we lost the concept of knowing and having our salvation in Christ? Um, what are your What are your thoughts on that? Where were you going with the the rediscovering of our salvation? Right. Um, well, yes. Uh, I, certainly, it's my it's my uh, opinion as a Catholic and a Christian that we've lost a great deal. Um, that we have so reduced Christianity um, in over centuries, um, particularly in the in the light of individualism. 
um, and secularism as well, that we have reduced Christianity to some, maybe some set of beliefs, um, or, uh, an act of faith, or a general sense of um, well-being toward other people. Um, when Christianity involves those things, but the heart of Christianity is that we have come to share God's life. Now, stop for a moment and think about what that means. God is infinitely greater than we are. He is the creator of all things. How is it that a creature has come to share God's life and to show God's love to one another? Because that's what we're being called to do. We are members of the body of Christ, one spirit with Christ. We say those words, but do we really take into account what that means? That is, that Jesus is abiding in us. Indeed, the Trinity is dwelling in us and moving us to live our lives so that everything that we do is meant to be being a participation in, a sharing in God's life, God's work of creation, God's work of salvation. God has made us to be co-workers with him as those who are one with him, even one we are one with him, even though we remain distinct persons. And I don't think that's generally how Christianity is understood anymore. Thank you for that, Father. Joe Resinello. Father, you know, you hear the terms, uh, you know, we're loved by God, but we're all co we're called to a, a, a union with him. And when I pray the rosary, the glorious mysteries, uh, the assumption, I meditate uh, on John and Our Lady. Um, you know, he took care of her and she was assumed into heaven because she was perfectly in union with the Lord. Um, obviously, we can't be in perfect union as she was with him because she was sinless and I am a sinner. But we can grow in union with God. And that is very important. Like you talked about something and I want to explore it later on as well. It's not just about forgiveness of sins. That's important. Absolutely. That's why Christ came to save us from ourselves. But we have to grow in union with the Lord because the closer we are to him in that way, the more good we will do on this earth, the more we will bring people to the church. Talk about that because it's not talked about enough. Well, the fuller and more abundant life we will have to use Jesus's um term. Um, Jesus has come uh, not just to keep us from getting in the ditches, um, avoiding sin. He's come to set us free to live a full life. And that means not just casting off the selfishness uh, that leads us into sin, but also the, the errors and, and, and misunderstandings we have about the meaning and purpose of life. Um, much damage is done in the world by people who are well-intentioned. Uh, but don't recognize that certain things are evil and not helpful. I mean, a person who's in a in a really tight spot uh, might indeed believe abortion is a is a is a legitimate outcome, and before God, they they may they might be innocent, um, depending on their formation, their upbringing. But that child's still going to be dead. Uh, so we can't we can't just live in a world where we're so focused on sin that we don't realize that God is calling us to a holy life. A changing of mind as well as heart uh, so that we can share his life. Why has God chosen to do this? Well, 
because he's he's full of generosity. Uh, he's he desires us to exist and to have the joy that, as Jesus said, that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. That's the fundamental reason. Yes, if we do all that, we're going to do good and we're going to bring others to Christ and we're going to be giving glory to God. Um, all those things are necessary parts of what we're doing. But, but fundamentally, God has called every member of the human race to be united to him within the church in order to have the fullness of life that comes from uh, having God dwelling in us and, and us living according to, uh, to his life and to his love. Absolutely. Father Timothy Vaverick is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing his new book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. Father, what the word covenant is used, obviously, numerous times in Scripture. OK, um, most people out there, most people listening to us at the front line with Joe and Joe know the covenants, the covenant with Adam, the covenant with Noah and so forth. What is the eternal covenant if somebody asked you that how would you describe the eternal covenant and what did you mean or what do you mean in your book by nuptial union well the eternal covenant is uh, the eternal plan that god has for the relationship of the human race to himself because covenant is primarily a, a word that describes a relation between um uh, two parties uh, in this case, one party is God, and the other party is the is the whole human race. And and we do have to be careful about this in an individualistic world. The covenant isn't between me and Jesus. The covenant is between us and Jesus. Um, and in that covenant, um, uh, as covenants are wont to do, it establishes a relationship, and it also involves then the living out of that relationship in particular ways. And we see this in the covenants with um, Adam and Eve, Abraham, um, covenant given with Moses, covenant to David. Um, but the eternal covenant is given to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, and what he calls us to is the new commandment. Because the old commandments were love God with your whole heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. The measure of that was our own capacity. Love God according to your strength. Your, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, it turned out that um, we couldn't even do that because of human sinfulness. We, we fail at that. But Jesus has given us a new covenant in himself in which we are to love God and neighbor in him. That is, we are to love as he has loved us. So he has called us to this entirely new way of life, which is the fulfillment of everything that was looked for and promised in the Old Testament. Uh, but was the purpose of God from the very beginning. Um, and that union between Christ and the church is the very basis upon which God fashioned Adam and Eve as husband and wife and created um, sexual differentiation in the human species and the union of husband and wife. Uh, he created all of that in the very image of Christ and the church. So this eternal covenant is at the heart of our existence um, and it is our origin this is the reason God created us, and it is our goal. He's calling us to this union together with each other um, as his bride, the church. Father Vaverick, thank you for that. And, we'll, and later on, probably in the next segment, we'll, I, I do want to talk a little bit about, I would say, the dangers of individualism, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Joe Resinello. You mentioned something I, I want to explore a little bit. You talk about loving 
uh, others in union with Christ or like Christ. Um, and I want to no, just not, think not not like Christ in union with Christ in union with him. Um, we're not just we're not trying simply to imitate him. We're sharing in his love for them. I want to focus on that because I think this is very important because I think a lot of people, a lot of well-intentioned people try to do that. I try to do that. Um, I fail, but I try. Um, but we can't do that without the church because the church gives us grace. You see, I think this is the missing element for 2000 years, Father. Maybe I'll write a book about this. This is my two cents. And, and this is it. The church gives us the sacraments to love in a way which we're not capable of doing. We're simply not. And I, I equate this to say people who radically love, like some religious orders, uh, who, because of their prayer life, because of the way that they, like, devote themselves, sacrifice, they love in a way that regular people who aren't doing that, they simply can't. It's impossible. Is that what you're getting at there? Because I personally think without the church, we can't love our spouses the way that Christ asks us to love, and we're sure as heck not going to love the sinner like Jesus asks us to love. Is that what you're talking about there? Well, it is impossible, um, but what's impossible for man is possible for God, because all things are possible for God. This is the reason for Christ coming into the world. Without Jesus, this can't be done. Now, the moment we're in the Lord Jesus, that is to say, he has come to abide in us and we in him, we are by that very fact in the church, right? There is no salvation outside the church, not because you have to be a card-carrying member of the Catholic Church to get into heaven, but because it's impossible to be in Christ Jesus and not belong to his body in some way. Um, and so the foundation of our life as Christians is the indwelling of God that comes to us uh, through Jesus, which he bestows on us normally on a normal course of events through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in baptism. This involves the life of the whole community uh, of his, his body, the church. Uh, but we don't, we don't have to be in church every day, and it's not simply through the sacraments that God um, bestows his life on us. Uh, it, is, it is, first of all, foundationally, by his dwelling in us. And then Jesus, of course, acting in and through the sacraments, nurtures and nourishes that life to um, increase it. For what is grace other than are sharing in God's life, the gift by which he allows us to share his life. Um, and yeah, certainly we, we tend to want to turn uh, most things as human beings into something we can fully understand or control. And so, yeah, uh, we, we try to take this on ourselves as if we can do it by ourselves or if we get our, just think the right thoughts, then it'll happen. When what, ha what has to happen is we have to live the right life. And whether we're in a monastery or in a marriage or we're single, it's always possible now for us to live that life because Christ has come to us and has made us members of his body and bride, the church. Father Weber, let me ask you a question. We, Joe and I promise we won't get you in too much trouble, okay? But we're, we're critical, <laughs> not of individual Protestants or evangelicals, but of Protestantism and evangelicalism, which strikes Joe and I um, 
as 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 being this this radically individualistic Christianity and Christianity's not it's not it, you know individualism and, and when it comes to politics and things like that and I am a special individual unrepeatable made in the image and likeness of God got it got it but it's not about individualism I remember from when I was a little kid and I fell away from the church for quite some time okay but I know this the Catholic Church is about this community that you're talking about I'm part of the human race as you as you mentioned and yes what how I treat my neighbor how I live my life matters okay for my salvation which involves how I treat my neighbors and 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 as a reflection of my love of God talk about what Joe and I would consider to be the dangers of individualism because it seems to me that that you know in America Christianity in America Joe likes to call it an inch deep and a mile wide okay it's about me 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 and I really don't have to do anything other than have faith whatever that means I don't even know what that means okay so am, am I off in my assessment here father well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't identify individualism with Protestantism as such. Okay. The early Protestants were very communal-based. Even the, even the Baptists, um, who, who now we equate with sort of, um, you know, the priesthood of individual believers, um, they were all very communitarian. And mm -hmm. they were pledged to walk in faith and obedience, holding each, each other accountable. Uh, but that's that's largely vanished. But it hasn't just vanished from them. Accountability is. I'm, I'm fighting for a word. Let's just say it's significantly present. The 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 desire not to be accountable is significantly present in the Catholic Church today, right? The Council uh, 60 years ago called for a renewal of Christian life based on living more deeply um, the mystery of our union in Christ. Um, and by any number of uh, measurements, that certainly hasn't happened among Catholics in the last 60 years. I, I'm not saying necessarily that we're less holy than we were 60 years ago, but we're certainly not more holy. So something has gone um, uh, gone amiss for us as well as for uh, the, our, our, our separated brethren. Um, individualism certainly is part of that story because it, it wishes to um, make each person the center of the universe. Uh, and it has taken the metastasized form, the cancerous form in our time, of a very radical assertion that we get to create our own identity and we get to create the meaning of life. This is far beyond relativism. This is asserting there is no truth. There is only the meaning that we give to life. And to the extent that people come to believe that, well, they're, they're only interested in a God that fits their expectations. Which is... Not any sort of real God at all. Father Timothy Vaverick is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing his new book that you could buy at Emmaus Road Publishing. We always emphasize you could go to some other outlets, but we want to support our Catholic authors like Father Tim um, and also our Catholic publishers. So the book is As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ from Emmaus Road Press. Joe Resinello. Father, <clears throat> one of the great things about our job is we get to talk to a lot of really smart people like yourself. We talked to Father uh, Athanasius Schneider, Dr. Ralph Martin, Father Wade Menendez, Father uh, Gerald Murray, talking about something you just mentioned about the council. And I, I want to bring this up. Um, you said something has gone awry. Um, I don't think it's the council, though. And I'm going to throw this out. I think it's our lack of obedience to the council. 
I think it's our lack of obedience, period. That's what's gone awry. I think we don't like to listen. I have five young children. I say that a hundred times a day. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Like people don't want to listen. The church says something and many times writes it down. It's, it's, it, you could read it and it's very readable. We don't want to listen. And when we don't follow the way that the church tells us to do things, including in the documents of Vatican II, we're not going to have the outcome we want. Because Christ tells us very clearly, I am the vine and you're the branch. You have to stay connected. We don't want to do that. We simply don't. Inside the church, as well as the laity, in many cases, that's what I think the problem is. I think it's right there. It's right there to be read. And we just don't want, what are your thoughts on it? That's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Who am I? <laughs> but that, that's what I think. <laughs> Well, I think the the implementation of the council is a very different thing than a council. Um, and there have been any number of times in history where councils said what needed to be said, uh, but then um, for a variety of reasons, um, it wasn't enacted. Um, I'd be hesitant about focusing on disobedience as such. Um, it's not as if, I don't, I don't know what you mean by the church, but it's not as if in my lifetime that priests and bishops, uh, seminary professors have professed the gospel uh, in the fullness uh, and in the way that um, the, the council, Vatican II or any of the councils envision, um, that instead uh, other opinions have been put forth. Um, and so, um, yes, that, involved, that, that results in people not, not entering into the full life of Christ, uh, but not necessarily through disobedience if they've never been told. Or if in fact they've been told the contrary, right? One of my one of my concerns about uh, going after particular American politicians on moral issues is, well, you've got bishops and priests saying very similar, if not exactly the same thing. In fact, you have bishops and priests who've allowed these people for decades uh, to believe in and act on their theories. Um, and why should we be going after a couple of old lay people? instead of not getting busy with the clergy um, and uh, and the bishops, if we're that concerned about uh, maintaining a, a communal and uh, view of the gospel and the fullness of the gospel and setting a good example for people who aren't Christian, who aren't, aren't Catholic. Let's clean our own house first, um, which is what the council is asking us to do, actually. It was calling for renewal of Christian life from top to bottom in the life of the church. And that still needs to happen. Well, it always needs to happen, but it needs to happen in our day in a particular way. Absolutely. Father Timothy Vavrick. Joe, we probably have uh, another couple minutes. Where do you want to go before the break? What does it mean to be saved? We hear that. I mean, you're you're in the South, you know, a lot of like uh, Southern Baptist Methodists in Texas, you know. What does it mean to be saved? You hear that constantly. I'm saved. And I mean, even in Catholic understanding, um, I have to watch myself like you you make assumptions like oh I'll be in heaven when I get to heaven really Joe maybe maybe you won't be you know what I mean like like what does that mean sure sure so father we have a father we have about a minute before the break and I'll probably cut side. you off and now but but I want you to at least please begin uh yeah yes well salvation salus in Latin means health so to be saved is to be whole and healed 
Uh, and that's not going to fully happen in this life. Uh, and it will only happen in the next life if, if we uh, die in the Lord Jesus. Uh, so in the meantime, we're being healed if we're living in the Lord. That means also the Lord is fundamentally, first of all, living in us. As long as Christ is abiding in us, he's doing his work, and he's bringing us closer and closer to himself um, unless we resist him or outright refuse. And salvation is that process of being transformed by coming to share Christ's life fully, which is also entering into perfect union with him, which may we move toward in this life. And then um, when we get to heaven, um, that will be brought to its perfection. Father Timothy Baberick is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We are discussing his new book out from Emmaus Road Publishing, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. Uh, so you're with the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. So we have another great segment with Father Tim. We'll be right back. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello. We're way in the breach with Father Timothy Vaverick, and we are discussing his new book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. That is available at Emmaus Road Publishing. You're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Joe Resinello. Father, you mentioned like when we were talking about what it means to be saved, to be healed. I think that's important. I want to explore that a little bit because we all need to be healed. I mean, I, I don't think... That, you know, you, you look at America across the board, sin wounds. It simply does. Um, sin has become normalized. I was just talking to my wife about this uh, this morning. So many things have become normalized, like divorce. We'll just use that as an example. Divorce is completely normalized. Uh, contraception is completely normalized. And sadly, so has same-sex marriage. It's normal completely normal yet sin wounds and again i think a missing link of what the church is and what christ came to do is to heal us we need to be healed um talk about that because i actually think we're missing that um and that's why confession is so important and that's where the protestant world not to point fingers and many protestants live a better life than i do in all honesty I, and let's just be honest one of the best people i ever met was a protestant actually um but they don't have that and they need it because we need it because we all need to be healed yes but we need to be healed from more than sin sin is enemy number one but it's only a particular and and a, a, a dead, particularly deadly form of a broader problem, which is evil. And evil can take the form of error, even innocent error, as well as sin. Part of the problem we're having in the Catholic Church today is that we have um, even even cardinals and bishops who want to say that if a person is not aware that they're sinning, there's no reason for them not to receive Holy Communion because they can, can still be in a state of grace. 
But the function of receiving Holy Communion isn't only about a personal encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. It's also about a public profession of the faith. And to be saying and acting contrary to the truth, which ultimately means contrary to Jesus and the gospel, is harmful because people will then do what the other person is saying or doing, thinking that it's okay. And whether you're in a, a, a state of grace or not, it's harmful to behave certain ways. So error can be innocently embraced. A person may, may, may respond to a marriage crisis in the wrong way, to a pregnancy or to their um, same-sex attraction in a wrong way without realizing it. We don't have to denounce them as sinners as such, but what they are doing is wrong and is not helpful for them. It is not healing for them because it's walking them down a path that is not moving toward wholeness. Obviously, if they know that they're doing this and that it's wrong, then their mortal soul is imperiled. But in any event, their being conformed to the image of Christ is damaged to the extent that they're walking in error as well as sin. And yes, this is a major problem in Christianity today, whether Catholic or otherwise, is that um, as communities, as churches or denominations, um, congregations, um, we are not being careful in correcting error, whether it's a mistake, whether it's through ignorance, or whether it's through sin. And so uh, the practice of ecclesial discipline the word discipline comes from disciple and discipleship has to be practiced more in a more thoroughgoing way. Now, an important part of that, especially in the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, is the sacrament of confession, by which the believer comes and acknowledges their own faults that they're aware of, uh, because these are sins by which they've deliberately turned away. Uh, but, but ecclesial discipline also means teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that means then correcting errors about the Christian life, because fundamentally, errors about the Christian life, errors about doctrine, errors about morality, are errors about who Jesus is and who he's calling us to be. And so these things are very important uh, that, we, that we get right and that we strive ourselves and help others to do the same. Because how we're living in Jesus reflects to other people who Jesus is. If we're, not, if we're not believing and acting the right way, we're misrepresenting who Jesus is, which right. is not our task. Mm. It's the contrary of our task. Father, let me ask you a question. Father Timothy Vavrick joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, we just ran through my mind. You mentioned errors, okay? Okay. Um, some people are in error. But then there's also the will. Now, where I'm going with this, and I love your comments, in my journey back to being a practicing Catholic and taking the faith seriously, okay, I opened up Scripture. I opened up the New Testament. I wanted to know what Jesus had to say, okay? One of the things that hit me right in my face, the words just came right off the page and hit me in my face, is when he said to the lame man, would you be made well? I always found that fascinating. Now, people grab different things from Scripture. That one stays at the front of my mind all the time. Would is it a problem of our will? Um, a lot of times, uh, individually, collectively, we live in such a depraved culture. You could go on about abortion and everything else. 
Do we want to be made well? Jesus asked that question, and the answer obviously has to be yes. I want to be made well, uh, but do I? And if God is asking you that, he's going somewhere with that. Your thoughts on that, Father? Well, surely the will is a problem. Um, you know, uh, the we are no longer in the Garden of Eden. And I'm in New Jersey. I'm far from the Garden of Eden. Father. And I'm in the yeah. desert in Arizona. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he settled you east of Eden, east of Texas, in fact. Um, uh, yeah. So look, we're fallen human beings. And, and this is this is why the truth is important, not just the question of sin to be healed, because things have gone wrong to wrong in our lives before we had any say in what we say and do. It's a fallen world. Error and sin are at work, making things a mess for everybody. We need to confront both in the appropriate way with the appropriate energy um, in a triage situation certainly sins the thing to go for because that's the thing that's most damaging to our soul but we need to keep the broader perspective in mind that jesus has come to set us free to give us a new life um, and our will tends to being selfish and our intellect tends to being not seeing things clearly and so between the two of them it's easy for us to rationalize simply simply put um, and that, that's why we need to confront error and sin and be aware that people may honestly not know. They may have some degree of responsibility. They may, may have total responsibility. But our task is to bring the truth, not just forgiveness of sins, but to bring the truth of Jesus into people's lives. Thank you for that, Father. Joe Rossinello. I want to explore the correction uh, of error, because I think this is very important. I don't think we do a good enough job of it, beginning in families. Um, one, I think uh, people lack the, the proper catechesis. I did. I grew up Catholic. Um, but I could remember in college, I would go to church. Um, an old Jesuit used to say a nine o'clock mass on Sunday night. I used to go. I'm surprised I wasn't struck by lightning in that church, in all honesty. But I didn't know a lot of things in fairness, like like or I didn't like they, they weren't in my heart, like deep or I just disregarded like the severity. I never would have done that at this point in my life. I'm 52. So that's a 30 year, you know, arc. Um, you don't know what you don't know. But we have to correct. That's what a dad does. That's what I do with my children. If they do something wrong, if they stand on the table during dinner, my little children, I'll say, you can't do that. You can't You get sit in your chair. But the same goes for people who are in error. And I'm not hearing it, Father. I'll be honest with you. I'm really not. I think we have to do a better job. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not good at it. I, my temperament, I have to work on that. It's not charitable and I'm not gentle. I, I, it's a sin of mine and it's a beatitude and I am not and I say it publicly and I have to work on it. But that is the job of the church and good bishops and good priests have that gift, that finesse. I love you, but you can't do that. Like a dad says to their child, talk about that. I think we have to do better. Well, yes, but before we correct, we have to teach. <laughs> you can't be correcting someone about something they don't know. 
And when we teach, we can't just be giving them rules or doctrines that are disconnected from the person of Jesus and from our own life. Otherwise, otherwise, like you teach a kid, you know, look, look both ways before you cross the street. Look, look to the left, look to the right, look to the left. That will get them killed if they go to England. Oh, but the universe has changed because I was told this when I grew up. Now, the reason we told you to look those directions, there's a specific reason for that. And that reason is different here now that you're in England. So the rule, the rule hasn't changed, not really. If all we do, and this I think often easy enough for it to happen, you just tell people the bottom line. So you give them the you give them the basic do's and don'ts, and then you expect them to live their life. That that might can work to a certain extent if the culture in which those do's and don'ts were created continued to exist, but it doesn't. We no longer live in Western civilization. That's not a denunciation. That's a fact. And we're not ever going to in our lifetime again. Whatever it is, it happens. Um, and so it's inadequate now uh, to simply make all kinds of assumptions about um, what it is people know. But that also puts on the church then the obligation to explain an entire worldview to people. And my book is an effort to begin to do some of that. People don't know the story of God and what he's done for us. Uh, in our culture, which is more and more focused on there is no reality other than the socially constructed meaning, there will be no place for us in that world. And our children are being raised in that world. They're being indoctrinated by that world. Therefore, we have to do something different that we haven't done before and we're struggling to find a way to do it. But we have to teach people what it means to say God is God and that Jesus is Lord. And we have to do that in a way uh, that, that makes it clear that this is all about a personal relationship with God, not a psychological, uh, necessarily reaffirming relationship, but an actual, an actual fundamental question of existence of my relationship to God and then I begin to see things and see myself and see all reality in relation to God. That's the view that got lost. Once that view gets lost, all obedience is is, is following a rule, and that won't help us. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree more, Father. I think that's one of the things that we have to fight against when people say, well, you're just a, a church of rules. Well, yes, of course, there, there are moral boundaries. If you want to call that rules, that's rules. But those rules are supposed to be written here. In other words, that's what that's what Christ said, you know, to, to write the law in your heart. In other words, so it's not a matter of just I wake up every day and make sure I follow the rules. We, I think, and this is where I think the two of you are going, is we need to uh, we need to uh, uh, nurture uh, and uh, in ourselves that relationship with Jesus Christ because you're following the rules without even knowing you're following the rules. It's not just like you're 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 in boot camp and oh, you know, get down and do twenty. You, do, you get down to do 20 because you know it's good for you. It's healthy. And you follow Jesus because you know it's good for you and it's healthy. And that you know, So we got to push back against that. We're just a church of rules. Yes, there's moral boundaries. Yes, you cannot do certain things, okay? Um, but in the meantime, the relationship is what's important because that's what it's going to be for eternity. That's my little rant. Father, in doing research for uh, this interview, 
Joe and I, uh, there was a comment made about your book. Quote, here is a study of the beatific union of the Trinity and the church that strangely warms this Protestant's heart. Okay. Um, you let us know who the Protestant is um, and elaborate on that. How could this book that you've written, As I Have Loved You, okay, that's the title of the book, um, and the subtitle is Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. How does this reach out? How does your book reach out to our brothers and sisters out there who are not Catholic? Well, my book is written as a Christian. Uh, I make it quite clear in, in the introduction that um, when I say Christian, I, I mean that that way of life, which is fully um, lived and handed down uh, in its complete form um, in the Catholic Church, although I hasten to add, although not always lived. Um, so, yeah, my book is intended for all Christians, um, and I try to speak in a way that um, is scriptural and human uh, in a way that um, can be um, accessible to people. Um, I think the uh, author of that uh, remark um, was um, was expecting to see some form of Christianity that he was told was Catholicism, maybe works righteousness that so we earn our way into heaven or something like that, or purgatory is a place where you get uh, you get punished uh, because uh, because you weren't perfect, um, whatever it might have been, um, and he was pleasantly surprised. Uh, to see that the focus was on um, the grace of God, God himself, working within us to transform us, to make us holy. Now, for my part, I'm, I'm pleased uh, to see a member of the Reformed, uh, Reformed Protestantism um, recognize that there's internal transformation taking place because um, historically and stereotypically, um, uh, the early Protestants wouldn't have spoken in that way of the internal transformation uh, of a person. Um, but it's important that we get to the reality of things. We use language not to make false distinctions or to paper over differences, but that we use our language to try to lay out in terms that are um, recognized by both sides of the conversation. Um, we try to get at the truth of things. Uh, and my attempt in the book is to kind of lay out the truth of things as best I could and kind of understandably, there's a certain amount of theological and, and biblical and philosophical language there. But um, but I think that language is accessible to people that aren't, aren't Catholic. Thank you for that, Father. Joe Rosanello. Father, we talked about this uh, in the first segment. I want to expand on it. You basically said, um, as a Catholics, as, as Catholics and Jesus didn't just come to reconcile us uh, from our sins. Very important. Obviously, he came to save us from ourselves, but, you know, we're sinners. But it's also to uh, the fact that we're striving for the, divi the divinity divinization of man by living out the divine life through openness of grace. Very important. Um, this is something I've come to uh, rely upon, grace, much more than in the past. And why do I say that? Because um, I'm over my head. I'll be honest with you. I have five kids under eight years old, father, in a small house. I need grace, a lot of it. And I know that I have to be open to that. And because of that, I pray more. 
A priest told me, a very good priest, uh, who I go to confession often uh, with at St. Patrick's Cathedral, uh, Father Donald Haggerty writes in the Magnificat, he told me, you have to be a man of prayer. You have to pray more. And I have seen, as a result of me praying more, I'm more open to grace, and it's helped me. I think we're missing that, too. We're missing it. Grace is everything, and we have to avail ourselves to it. It's not just about my sins are forgiven. Very important. But we have to grow in that openness towards God to be like him, to be another Christ in the world, only possible through grace because we're fallen and broken. Talk about that. If you ask me, that this is the differentiator in the book, if you ask me. Right. Well, because there's two ways you could be like someone. You can try to imitate them or you can share their life. Uh, prior to Jesus, it was necessary to try to imitate God. That's what the, the old covenant was all about. Now it is about participating in God's own life. That's what you just mean when you say the word grace. Grace is the union that God establishes us, with us. That union is the new covenant, the eternal covenant that we enter into. Um, it is sealed when he comes to abide in us, and thus at that moment we come to abide in him. Uh, and it's nourished by him in the way that he moves us and prompts us and equips us then to go about being the father of, um, what is it, was it 500, age 10? Um, um, well, how, how, however many it is, uh, being pastor of a parish of 400 families or, or 10,000 families, or, or being a soldier, or being a worker, or being a professional. In those specific situations of our specific life, not some general kind of gifts, but specific gifts, God dwelling in us is equipping and moving us to say and do the right thing in every situation. That's the key. That's the key. That's what it means to love as we've been loved. That's what it enables us to love as we've been loved. That's the heart and soul of the Christian life. It is that kind of intimate sharing in God's life, not just trying to ask, what would Jesus do? But, but answer the question, what is Jesus moving me inwardly to say or do at this time? You know, I, I, I want to talk about grace a little bit more, Joe, if you allow me. Uh, because sure, please. I think people use the word like so, like, you know, like casually. Oh, grace, grace. Well, grace I'm glad you brought that up, Joe, because I, I, that's where I was going to go is I don't think people understand what grace is. So go ahead. No, because it's real. Grace is real. You see, there's so many things I think people just say casually. No, grace allows someone to live a chaste life. Grace allows someone as a married couple to be open to life. Grace gives patience. Grace helps you to love the sinner. It's real. We have to avail ourselves to it. And, and I don't think, I think it's just people, you see, like, I look at the church, I'll be honest with you, I've come to realize many years ago, my way doesn't work. I know this. I, I, I Father, I know it. I'll admit it publicly. I second I that idea. I second <laughs> but, that idea. My way but doesn't work. I also know that grace is real, that God is real, and it's the medicine for the world. And it's found 
in prayer and in sacrifice and in the sacraments. And, and just like people are focused their lives on so many things, going to the gym, making money, whatever, whatever, that is real and it's there for you and it's free and it's for everybody. Do we understand grace? I don't think we do. Well, it, 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 like, like so many words in the Christian, in the Christian faith, um, they came to mean different things. They got worn threadbare and um, people don't even recognize them anymore, right? Because it's easy to talk about grace as if it's fuel. It's some stuff that we need. Um, we need more or less of it. And I can get it this way or I can get it that way. Um, but of course, as you understand, grace is God's life. Grace is God's invitation to draw closer to him, to share his life and to be involved with his work. Now, grace isn't an it. It's not a thing. It's the covenantal life. It's the, it's the, it's the union that we have with God in Christ and how that union is giving us life uh, to move us in various directions to turn us away from evil, draw us uh, into the into, into right paths and uh, toward others. Um, uh, and that certainly we can't live without that because that's because that is Jesus. We would certainly want to avoid a circumstance where people thought grace was something other than Jesus or something other than our life in Jesus. Um, it's a specific way of referring to aspects of that life. But this is a case where the teaching now has to go back further than it would have gone in the past so people understand what that word even means. Otherwise, it'll just be a word they toss around. Uh, and and I'm glad you mentioned that. It seems to be that way, Grace. You know, and, and again, I tossed it around because I didn't really know, know what it meant 20 years ago. And now I know what it means. And you just said it. It is a share in the divine life. And if we really thought about what that means, um, that we that we could have that. That it's accessible to us. The church gives that to us. But then there is an issue, the question of humility. You have to bend the knee and you have to go to confession. You have to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, like these are these are must-dos. If you want to grab that grace, Father, I'm going to give you the last word on that. Yes, well, Jesus said we must undertake metanoia, which is the ongoing conversion of our lives, of turning away from our from the errors that we've collected, uh, from our from our sins that we've committed, uh, and turning more and more, entering into the depth of His person, um, His heart, His mind, so that the mind and heart of Christ becomes our mind and heart, not just by trying to imitate, but by entering into and sharing. That that is what the call is from the beginning: repent and believe in the good news. He's calling us to metanoia, an ongoing life of conversion to live more deeply his new life. That's the good news that we share now God's life in Jesus. The gospel. That is, it's the, that is the that is the good news. And and, and you know and we're we're we, J Father Joe and I say that we you know we have on guests that we also along with our audience Joe and I we, we you know we're works in progress and we learn so much and we learn a lot from you today, or we're reminded of things that we should already know. Either way, we're much better off for having you on the show. Father Timothy Vaverick, uh, what's the title of the book? Where can people buy it? And let us know what you have going on. It's um, As I Have Loved You, 
Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. It's available from Emmaus Road Publishing. Um, I am taking care of a parish as best I can of 1,200 families with a, a small Catholic school, about 120 students, um, just north of Waco in the town of West. And it's like what I'll be doing uh, until, until such time as the, the bishop says, okay, now, now, now you go retire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, those are 1,200 families that are in very, very good hands. Father Timothy Vaverick, thank you so much for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you all. God bless you. God bless you, and thank you all out there for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so you have access to all of our station's content. And wherever you see Joe and I on social media, particularly the front line with Joe and Joe on YouTube, like, subscribe, share. Do all that fun stuff and help us out. Remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.